Hello, folks. This is Pastor Mike Hoggard coming to you from Watchman Studios with another Watchman video broadcast. We've done all we can. Well, there's probably still a lot more we could talk about on the number one. But let's move forward. We're going to try to get in as much information as possible in today's broadcast on the number two. In fact, let's go ahead and look at the, the first verse that came to mind when I was putting these notes together. It, it's from the book of Amos, and it's interesting because it's Amos chapter 3 which is not a two, obviously, you get when you're okay. But anyway, it's Amos chapter 3 and verse 3. And the verse says this, Can two walk together except they be agreed? And Amos chapter 3 and verse 3, they agree. I just, I don't know, I just kind of like that. Anyway, and I have here a little, little note here, Old Testament and New Testament. Now I know, I know there's a, a lot of people out there that say, well, that's in the Old Testament. That's not for us. That's for them. That's the, the Old Testament's not really. F in fact, the whole, I think, the, what is it, the uh, Church of Christ, uh, you know, the people that s sing music without music, uh, you know, they don't play pianos or organs or anything like that. Uh, unless you're Amy Grant. And um, anyway, they, they say all that Old Testament, cut it out, throw it away. We don't need it anymore. We're a New Testament church, right? Except when you start reading the whole Bible, and all of a sudden now you see things in the Old Testament and you're going, that's in the New Testament. And you start reading the New Testament, and you're and you and all of a sudden you're going, well, that that's in the Old Testament too, and there are so many agreements between the Old and the New Testament. You see, this these this is the number two here. Can two walk together? except they be agreed. These two testaments are the legs that is going to carry us into glory land. I promise you. In, in fact, let, let me give you an illustration. Uh, I'm teaching this um, during Sunday school, and um, I, I noted that um, in the Old Testament, the Israelites were led into the uh, Canaan land by one pillar of fire by night. And yet in Revelation 10, there's a mighty angel comes down from heaven and he's got a book in his hand and it's open and he's got a rainbow above his head. That's the glory of the Lord. That only belongs to the Lord Christ. Okay. And uh, he's clothed with a cloud. Jesus is coming with a cloud. His face shines like the sun. Jesus' face shines like the sun. And he has Two feet that are as pillars of fire. You get it? In the Old Testament, Christ led Israel into Canaan land with one pillar of fire. The Old Testament. The law. In the, his second coming, he's going to lead his people into the promised land with two pillars of fire. And both pillars of fire are going in the same direction 
God didn't create us with one foot pointing north and one foot pointing south. And we're always going, hey, we're, which way we go here, okay? He didn't create us like that. He created us with the idea that both of our feet have to go together. And you can apply this. This is not just an Old and a New Testament thing. You can apply this to just about anything where there is two things involved. They have to be going in the same direction. They have to be a husband and wife. A husband and wife generally, now they don't always see it eye to eye on everything, okay, you know, the toilet seat stays down or whatever, you know, but generally that husband and wife have to be going in the same direction. I knew a man and he was always troubled. He wanted to preach so bad. He wanted to live for God, serve God so bad. And his wife, she was always pulling him in the wrong direction. Now, I don't know whatever happened with him. I lost track of him years ago. But I just felt for that man. Can those two walk together if they're not agreed with each other? What about two people being in business together? Can they two walk together in business if they're not agreeing, not in agreement with each other. No, it won't happen. They're either going to go one way or the other way, or they're going to have to break off and go their separate ways. But they can't go together if they don't agree. And you, like I say, you can apply this to anything. Uh, can, can two, uh, l let's say that you have a church. And sad to say, Churches, sometimes they get people on one side of an issue and people on the other side of an issue and they don't agree. And can those people, uh, you know, sometimes it works, yeah, but sometimes it doesn't. And they can't walk together because they don't agree. And so they have to usually break up. And sometimes God is in that. He really is. Uh, when Abraham, Lot, and Lot, that when their herdsmen strove together, um, you know, Abraham finally, God gave him wisdom, and Abraham took Lot, and he said, Lot, you know, you, you guys take your guys, w pick whatever way you want to go. You want to go this way, we'll go that. You want to go this way, we'll go this way. But I'm giving you first pick. And Lot chose the uh, well-watered plains of Sodom. And um, God then took Abraham and blessed him. And he said, Abraham, look northward, southward, eastward, and westward. And everything that you see, I'm going to give you. Okay? And out of the two, the greater that was blessed was Abraham. Because Abraham gets the entire, you know, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Abraham, you know, when you're looking north, south, east, and west... Where does that end? It doesn't. And so Abraham inherits the earth. Lot lost everything in Sodom. Okay. So anyway, this verse just sort of sets the path for what the number two, or at least part of what the number two represents. Can two walk together except they be agreed? And I applied that to the Old and to the New Testament. We get our doctrine from both sides of the Bible. And it doesn't matter where it comes from. It's good. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and it's profitable for 
doctrine, for reproof, for correction, instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So to say that, well, not everything that God does is in the Bible, well, that violates what Paul said, uh, Second uh, Timothy 3.16, I believe, uh, because God said to Paul, Paul, write this down, and tell everybody that all Scripture is given by inspiration, and all of it is profitable for doctrine. And so we read the entire Bible, and those two walk together because they are agreed, and they walk together, and they lead us into the promised land. And then Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 and 10 goes like this. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor, for if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Now think about that for a minute. Here is the Old Testament. And, and uh, you remember what Paul said, that when Moses came down from the mountain, second time I'm going to get into that, his face was shining as the sun. It was so bright that the Israelites asked for Moses to put a veil over his face. And so he did that. And the Bible says that the, the, the point of that was that every time the Jews read the Old Testament, a veil, it covers them, and they can't understand who that is behind that veil. We know it's Christ. We know that 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 Messiah, that lawgiver in the end times is going to be Christ, but they can't see it. They can't understand it. And so they only have one, one part of the Bible to read, one testament, one covenant. That's all they have. And yet the Bible says two are better than one. And those of us who are Gentiles, or some of you Jews, who now understand that the New Testament and the Old Testament, they go together like uh, peanut butter and chocolate, like butter and popcorn, uh, like biscuits and gravy, yes, mm-mm. Uh, they go together, okay? Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor. For if the one fall... For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. You see, when we fall, we have grace. If we fall under the law, well, the law would condemn us. But if we fall and we have grace here, Grace will help us get back up and keep on walking for the Lord. Amen. Two are better than two testaments are better than one testament. Blindness in part is happening to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. So right now, Israel, they can't see the New Testament. They can't, they can't follow it. They can't understand it. doesn't make sense to them. But one of these days, they're blind in part. One of these days, God's going to heal them, and they're going to see both 
Testaments, and they're going to go, ah, I get it now. It's Jesus, not Moses. Amen. Now, notice this. With, with all of that in mind, notice this. Isaiah 28, 10. For precept must... In, in fact, let me, let me stop here. Isaiah 28... Um, deals with the drunkards of Ephraim. And they drink wine, and they're drunk, and the tables are full of vomit, and they, they err in vision, they stumble in judgment because they're drunk spiritually. Okay? And so God is asking for people... Who, who want to understand doctrine. Who want to understand God's ways. So he says this, For precept must be upon precept. Precept upon precept. Line upon line. Line upon line. Here a little. And there a little. And then in verse 13, says it again, but the word of the Lord was unto them precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little, that they might go and fall backward and be broken and snared and taken. So here's God. And God says, um, I want to find some people, uh, in verse 9, whom shall he teach knowledge and whom shall he make to, make to understand doctrine, them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. Then he says, for precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept. Okay, so, so we're reading in Genesis, uh, we're reading in Genesis uh, 2, and we read about Adam. And we read about the two trees that God told Adam about. One will give him life, one will give him death. And we see that Adam has a wife now called Woman. And, you know, Woman and man together, boy, they're doing well and so on. And we read that. That's a precept. But we don't get it. We don't, we don't quite understand it. We say, okay, God, that, that, yeah, that, I guess that makes sense. Uh, where, where are you going with this? Okay. Well, then you read, you go over here, and you read another precept. And it's in Ephesians chapter 5. If my fumbling hands, Galatians, Ephesians, oh, it's right there. Galatians, Ephesians. And then it says, um, uh, let's see here. For this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall be joined into his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Well, that's exactly what it says here uh, in Genesis 2.24. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Wow. See, this is precept, and this is precept. And then when you keep reading... It says, this is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. And you're going, wow. You mean, the story of Adam and Eve is about Christ 
and his church. And the Holy Ghost is going, yeah, do you understand it now? Ooh, that is so, that is, and do that. It's going down your back and you just go Ooh, like that. And then when you start pondering it for a while, tears come down your eyes. And you, you start saying, God, why are you showing me this? He says, because you're the one I want to teach doctrine to. You're the one I want to know these precepts. So precept upon precept. Precept upon precept. Line upon line. Here a little. And there a little. See, you're not going to find in the Bible one whole section where God explains to the letter everything about his plan, his work, his, what he's going to do, all of that stuff. You're not going to find it there. What you're going to find is a little clue here and a little clue there. And you're going to find something else here and you're going to find something else there. And that's how you're going to know the doctrines and the precepts and the lines and all the goodness of what this Bible has to offer. Can two walk together except they be agreed? No, they have to be agreed. And again, there are people, man, I wish I could reach. There are people, and they believe the King James. But their problem is, they say, well, you know, the Old Testament doesn't agree with the New Testament. And so that must mean that God gave the Old Testament to them as a different gospel than the one he gives to us here. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. In fact, you're the one that tripped and fell backward and was snared and was taken because of your drunkenness. Because you think, and, and even some people think like it's two different gods. Oh my goodness. Lord, what is the matter with people anymore? Anyway, um, that's what he says here. That they, and let me look at verse 13 again here. The reason why he does it this way. That they might go and fall backward. You've seen that, haven't you? At a Benny Hinn crusade or Ernest Angley or uh, I don't know if he's still around anymore. Or um, um, uh, Peter Popoff or uh, Benny Hindu or any of these guys. Go around hitting people on the head or blowing on them and they all fall backward. Isn't that something that they fall backward? That's just strange, isn't it? That's called backsliding, backfalling. It's all in, I mean, I think it means something. I think God is showing you. It, number one, if they're faking it, which some of them are, that tells you right there the condition that they're in. They've fallen backwards. And yet, if truly under the control of a spirit, they are thrown backwards. Well, then that tells you something as well, doesn't it? They're backslidden. They've fallen backward, just like God said. 
they, uh, that they might go and fall backward and be broken and snared and taken. I um, have always wondered where they're taken to. Okay? It's a different teaching. Okay? And maybe I'll do it one of these days, but they're going to be taken. Mark it down. Okay? Because whether, like I say, whether they're doing it fraudulently or a spirit is in them, they're showing you that they are not on the Lord's side because they will not add precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, and there a little. They won't do it. They won't read their Bible. They won't study their Bible. You know, I'm going to throw this in here. Uh, I, I just have been around preachers, you know, all my life, and I've heard some of them as they talk, and sometimes they come up with some good stuff, and sometimes I hear the most wacky things from them. It's like they're reading the Bible, and they invent illustrations that in no way have anything to do with what's in the Bible. In fact, they didn't get their illustrations and their metaphors from the Bible. And that's troubling to me. When the Bible is so full of its own illustrations and its own metaphors and its own allegories and its own teachings, and yet they wander and stray from those and come up with their own, I, I, and I get it. They come up with it on their own because nobody else did. And they want you to think that God is somehow giving them something that he wouldn't give anybody else. And everybody at the meeting says, oh, Dr. So-and-so, oh, Evangelist so-and-so, he's a great man of God. I heard him say that a lot about a man that I know, how great a man of God he was. They didn't, they didn't tell you how many mistresses he had. True story. True story. So let's go back to the beginning and see this number two, all right? Uh, in fact, the very first day. God illustrates it. Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light and that it was good. And here it is now. God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day. And the darkness he called night and the evening and the morning were the first day. Notice that we have a division here. We have uh, light, which is day, and we have darkness, which is night, and God divided them, and, and all of us know that daytime is not nighttime, and nighttime is not daytime. And when God set them in order... He called the light day and the darkness he called night. And then it says, and the evening and the morning 
were the first day. Even the evening and the morning were separate one from another. They were different than one another. And God divided them that way. You know, there's, there's two types of people in the world and only two. Those who have the light and those who live in darkness. That's it. Two types of people. Therefore, there's only two places to go. Not three. Not four, five, six. Just two. No, no purgatory. I mean, here's God. He's, he's establishing this idea that it's one or the other. But then, according to the Catholic Church, and maybe others, they throw in this third option. Well, now, you could go to uh, purgatory. And, uh, you know, that would be tough, but, you know, at least you'll get out of purgatory, and then you'll get to go to heaven. And, but that's not what God said. God never said that ever in the Word of God. and never did. And so it said in Genesis chapter 1, verse 6, God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. You know, and this is interesting because we're dealing with the number two. And I just happened to count the words that God said when he divided the waters from the waters. And I have it as a little mark here. 20 words exactly. It's 2 times 10. I just like that. I, I, think, that's, I think that's on purpose, to be honest with you. Okay? That's a, and so here's another, here's another fact I'm giving you. I'm giving you a fact that the very words that God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters, that's exactly 20 words. Now, you can't dispute that. You may not like um, what I say about it. You may not like the conclusion that I draw from it. But you can't argue that there's 20 words there. Okay? And here it is, God dividing, making a firmament, which means expanse. He's creating outer space. And if you've ever been in an airplane, and you, uh, it's like a cloudy day, and the airplane takes off, and then all of a sudden, 10,000 feet, you're above the clouds. But then again, maybe you're not above the clouds. You're above the one cloud level and you look up and there's another one up there. Oh my goodness. So you're headed for that one. And once you get up above that one, oh, you see that sun up there. God has divided the waters from the waters. But you see, I, I also believe that way beyond, as farther than we can see with the Hubble telescope, the Webb telescope, farther than the universe itself. I think there's another form of waters up there that divides the farthest heaven, the highest heaven, from the edge of the universe.
okay? Can't prove it because I haven't been there, but I can read it, and that's what I believe. God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Verse 7, and God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. Remember, the firmament refers to heaven. And it was so, and God called the firmament heaven, hmm. and the evening and the morning were the second day. So the number two is all about dividing two different things. So when Israel uh, is uh, headed toward the Red Sea, and they've got Pharaoh chasing them, and they're angry, and they're murmuring at God and complaining, God, you brought us out here to kill us. God's like, I could have killed you wherever. I didn't have to bring you out here. But that's just how they thought, and they complained to Moses, and Moses said, God, they're complaining, and God said, Moses, tell them don't worry about it. Hold your rod. The rod is Christ. Hold the rod over the sea and watch what happens. So that's exactly what happens. Moses holds the rod over the sea. The wind blows and opens up the waterway. And so Israel walks through on dry ground because God opened that up for them. And what I think is that's a picture of what separates us from uh, the, the third heaven where God is. That's what Paul talked about in 2 Corinthians 12. Um, he uh, had a, somebody he know, knew that went to the third heaven and heard things that was unlawful to speak. And that uh, Red Sea, I think, represents what separates uh, the universe from the third heaven. And Moses divided those waters. Israel walked across on dry ground. And from that point forward, God told Israel, you're never, see, see, see Egypt back there? You see Pharaoh and all of his armies? Guess what? Take one last look at him because you're never going to see them ever again. And I love that story because right now, what separates us from heaven is that firmament and that water. But one of these days, God is going to open that up for us and we're going to walk through and we're going to be in heaven, the third heaven. And one last look at this earth and the Antichrist and the dragon, the devil and all the sins that we committed and all the things that we hate that we do. God says, take one last look at them because you're not going to see them ever again. Oh, I love that. I love that. And that's all, that's all wrapped up in that number, number two. God called the firmament heaven and the evening and the morning were the second day. And that's what God did. God took on the second day, he took the waters here and the waters here and he divided them up. And so that one of these days when we walk through there, we're going to be in heaven with God forever and we're going to look back and we're going to see the earth and everything for the very last 
time and there's not going to be any more old earth or old sea or anything like that at all. And see, what that is a picture of is, I, I like this. I like this. Because sometimes I, oh boy, I hate to admit this. Sometimes I have a disagreement with God. All right? God does something and I say, no, God, I, I don't want it to be that way. Or God is going to do something and I'm afraid of what could happen if or when God does that. And I don't want it to happen because I'm afraid. But God says, trust me, Mike. Just, just trust me. I'm a good God to you. I've never failed you. I've never let you down. I've always done a good work in you, Mike. And I'm going to continue doing that good work in you. And so the, the purpose of God taking the third heaven, that firmament, and dividing it from and separating it, them or where God is from us and where we are. There was a purpose in that, and it's in Isaiah 55. God says in verse 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Boy, ponder that for a while. I mean, I, I love, I love outer space. I have a, a documentary they made on Apollo 11. And uh, to say that I've watched it more than once <laughs> is an understatement. I've watched it probably dozens of times. Because we went to the moon. And, and can, you, can you fathom? We, we had only been flying for just a little bit over 60 years. We've been navigating airspace, okay, which is not easy. And then Kennedy comes out and says, I think we ought to go to the moon. And so NASA is hiring every engineer it can find. And they're putting together pieces of, of what's going to be the uh, Saturn V rocket. It's going to be the Apollo um, command module. It's going to be the Columbia. Um, oh, let's see. The Columbia and the Eagle are going to join together. They're joined together to make Apollo 11. And uh, uh, Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong are going to land on the moon. And, and they're going to do their, their 
their work. They're going to collect samples and put experiments down and all kinds of things. They're going to plant a flag and salute it and talk to the president. And all of those neat, the, I mean, the whole world was watching this thing. And had it failed, the world would have seen it fail. We, we, America wasn't going to hide anything. But it succeeded. And uh, then all of a sudden, the eagle takes off again, and it joins with Columbia. Now it's Apollo 11 again, and they circle the moon a couple more times, and then wham, they head back to Earth, and they land safely. And I just, to just ponder the technology and, and the innovation and the fact that we as Americans, we, that was a time in America where uh, we could still do things like that because we were, st we were still strong as a nation in, t in many ways. Not in every way, but in many ways. But I, I love outer space and, and to see uh, images from the Hubble telescope and the James Webb telescope to look at stars. Oh, I love that. And God says, all as far out as the very, very farthest constellation, farthest galaxy, the very farthest star, I don't think we found it yet. I mean, we already, my, my thinking all this time is that they're saying that the universe um, you know, blew into from the Big Bang uh, all this all this matter that was joined into this one point of matter. It all exploded 13 billion years ago, and um, and it took it several billion years to start forming galaxies and and so on and so on, and yet the James Webb telescope looks up there and it sees that the farthest that it can see 12 to 13 billion light years back in history and we're already seeing fully formed galaxies and it's causing the astrophysicists to go uh, well it should look that way <laughs> if you believe the Bible it, it should and their problem is they're thinking like men. They're not thinking like God. You see, God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so I, I, I'm not saying at all that because I read the Bible once, well, I know everything there is to know. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is the more I read the Bible, the more I start thinking the way God thinks. And so when they look back in their in their uh, James Webb telescope and they see fully formed galaxies that are about as old as they think the universe should be 
and they're all going, that doesn't make sense to us. I go, oh, it makes perfect sense to me. Makes absolute sense to me. Because, you see, I don't have to have um, 13 billion years for the light of the farthest galaxy to reach me. I think on day one, day two, day three, when all day four, when all the lights are created, I think their light was here already. Okay? Anyway, that's, that's, that's the beauty of the division of heaven and earth, is that if, if man comes up with a way of salvation, it's going to be the wrong way every time. It's either going to be based upon works, or it's going to be based upon money, or some pervert's going to want your wife, or your daughter, or your son in exchange for your salvation, or whatever. That's man's way. Man's way is way down here. God's way is way up here. All right? Because his ways are always higher than our ways. And whenever you think, and, and, oh, I got to add this in here too. Whenever you think that you've got it all figured out how God's going to do it, and you just say, now God, do this, do this. I release you to do this. And God, I, I, I uh, proclaim in faith that you're going to do this. <laughs> God's like, why do I have to do it your way? Why do, I have to, why do I have to be bound by what you say? And that's what a lot of uh, word faith people, that's what they think. They think that they've got to pronounce exactly how God's going to do everything before God can do it. And I'm telling you, God's ways are way higher than your ways. And if you start binding up God to do it your way, don't be surprised when he won't do it. I think it's better to just say, God, I trust you. I trust you. I've seen too many times in my life and in my prayers where I prayed for God to do something a certain way. And God kind of like laughed. <laughs> Mike, that's not my plan. Mike, if you'll trust me, uh, believe me, I have a much better plan. And usually by that time, I'm like, God, you're right. Do it the way that you want to do it. And I'll trust in you. But like I said, the, the whole word faith, um, name it, claim it. They believe that, that they have to pronounce to God not only what they want, but how they want it done. They want God to follow their instructions. Now, I'm here to tell you, God wasn't put on this earth to hear how you want it. God sits in heaven for you to obey how he wants it. Amen? All right, now, um, when we look at the number two, we look at the idea, we've already seen it, of separation. Uh, you know, we have the heavens up here, we have the earth down here. 
We have uh, God's ways are higher than, than our ways and his thoughts higher than our thoughts and so on. And so through the Bible, we see that illustrated like with two wives, two women, or with two sons. Look at Genesis 25. In verse 23, the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels, and the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. Now, that was talking about um, uh, Jacob and Esau. And I always thought it was interesting. This was no mistake. That God made Jacob to be just like a normal, fair-haired boy, uh, just a good kid all around, stayed close to mom. He was, yeah, kind of a mama's boy a little bit, all right. But then Esau... He was a beast. He was a beast. And he represents the, the beast nature that we have in us. That nature that is inclined to sin, that is inclined to follow after the, the will and the desires of the flesh, just like animals do. Animals don't make decisions on, like, if, like during deer season, okay? Uh, a buck doesn't line up does and go, hmm, I wonder which one would be the one that I would, that I would mate through this year. Hmm. I tell you what, I think, I think I'm going to select number four. They, they don't do that, okay? Whichever one they can get. That's the one they get, okay? They follow their, their baser animal instincts almost. And that's pretty much who Esau was, or Edom. That's who he was. He represented those who follow after their, their animalistic flesh nature. They act like a beast, it's like Peter describing uh, the false teachers of the last days. He said, these are natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed. All right? So, um, in Genesis 38, verse 27, it came to pass in the time of her travail that, behold, twins were in her womb. And it came to pass when she travailed that the one put out his hand and the midwife took and bound upon his hand a scarlet thread, saying, This came out first. This is going to be Zerah and Ferez. Ferez meaning breach, okay? Um, and the midwife took and bound upon his hand a scarlet thread, saying, This came out first. And it came to pass as he drew back his hand that, behold, his brother came out, and she said, How hast thou broken forth? This breach be upon thee. Therefore, his name was called Perez. And afterward came out his brother that had the scarlet thread upon his hand, and his name was called Zerah. 
And the understanding of this is which, which line, Zara or Ferez, did, was Jesus born from? Ferez. He was born under Ferez, breached the matrix and came out first when it should have been Zara. When Zara saw the hand, or when the midwife saw the hand of Zara come out, she tied a scarlet cord there and says, He's number one. But then he withdrew his hand. You know who that is? That's Israel. Israel could have been, should have been, would have been first. But he withdrew, didn't he? He didn't believe. He didn't accept it by faith. He didn't live by faith. And so, Ferez, whose name means breach, okay? He comes out first and receives the firstborn son blessing. I mean, think about this, okay? Who came out first, Esau or Jacob? Esau. But who gets the blessing? Jacob. Esau is Israel. Jacob is the Gentiles. Um, Rachel and Leah. Who was, uh, who was the one who was first loved? Rachel. She was the pretty one. Who was the ugly sister? Leah. So who gets married first? Leah. Then Rachel. Okay? And then, and then same thing here. We have the breach. We have Zara, who, scarlet cord around his hand, but he drew back. Okay? And the Bible talks about how they draw back in disbelief. Mm-mm-mm. So then Perez comes out, and now he gets the, the blessing. He's the one upon whom Christ came uh, the, the first time. And, and then we have uh, Jacob, and Joseph brings his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, to Jacob to bless. And Jacob, remember, he can't see, right? So he brings Manasseh up to his right hand and Ephraim up to his left hand and says, Dad, just stick your hands forward there. Give them the blessing. They'll get the right blessing. And so what does he do? He crossed his hands and he gave the right hand blessing to Ephraim and the left hand blessing to Manasseh. And Joseph said, Dad, you, you don't know what you're doing. And he said, oh, yeah, I do. I know what I'm doing. I know exactly what I'm doing. And the whole purpose of that was in every instance, it was, sh it, who was born first, Ishmael or Isaac? And yet, who was chosen? Isaac. Does Ishmael get a blessing? Yes. But who was chosen first? Isaac. And every one of those accounts, God is showing that it's going to be the Gentiles first 
But the greater blessing, the double blessing, is going to go to my people, Israel. Uh, Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40, which sort of coincides with the 40th chapter or 40th book of the Bible, which is Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. Isn't that something? Isaiah 40, comfort ye, comfort ye. He says it twice, doesn't he? Comfort is the Holy Ghost. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished and that her iniquity is a pardon. For she hath received double. She hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. She's going to get, Israel's going to get the double blessing, okay? And that's what that number two means. It's a separation and it's a breach. But Jesus is coming again. And according to Isaiah 58, verse 12, And they that shall be of thee shall build the old waste places, and thou shalt raise up the foundations of many generations, and thou shalt be called... The repairer of the breach, the restorer of paths to dwell in. And by the way, the word breach just happens to be in the Bible 22 times. It's 2 times 11. Okay? So we're already seeing that the number 2 deals with like the... the the time of the Gentiles and their time is first and then their time is going to be up. Click, 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 click. Time is up, Gentiles. No more Gentiles to be saved. That's what I believe. I believe that God shut the door of the ark, did he? And when it started raining, no one else was saved. No one else was saved. And um, there are people, some are friends of mine, who are like, they, they like to leave, um, I don't know, videos books around for people that after we're raptured, uh, they'll leave books around on, on how uh, God's going to save them now that the, the Christians are gone and they've been raptured, but don't worry, you're going to get a second chance. You just won't have the Holy Spirit. And I'm, well, I, I just can't, I can't go along with that. I can't. Because um, I do. I think once once God shuts the door, the door is shut. Okay? And that's what I see in the scriptures. All right? But anyway, so the time of the time of the Gentiles has to do with the number two. Uh, like uh, in Hosea, after two days he will revive us. On the third day we shall live again in his sight. Two days, a day with the, with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. So 
after two days, 1,000 years, 2,000 years. And then at the beginning of the third thousand year, God opens the eyes of Israel and they see the Messiah for the very first time. And I think God actually illustrated the exact time that that's going to happen. Not, not the date and the hour or the year, but the fact that it's going to be 2,000 years. And he does it in this way, in Joshua chapter 3. Joshua is leading the people, and they're going to go and cross the river Jordan to get into the promised land. But God wants them to do it a very specific way. Watch this. Joshua chapter 3, And Joshua rose early in the morning, and they removed from Shittim and came to Jordan. He and all the children of Israel lodged there before they passed over. And it came to pass after three days that the officers went through the host, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall remove from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure, come not near unto it, that you may know the way by which ye must go, for ye have not passed this way heretofore. I love that. God says that, okay, we're going to go now. The Ark of the Covenant is going to go first. And what does the Ark of the Covenant uh, uh, represent? Well, it's the mercy seat of God. It's the throne of God. It's, it's where the blood is. And Jesus, when he died on the cross, and he rose up into heaven, he took his blood, sprinkled it upon the mercy seat in heaven before God, giving man everlasting salvation. Oh, I love that. He sat down at the right hand of the Father, having forgiven man all of his sins forever. You see, in the Old Testament, the high priest, he had to do this every year. Dip, 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 sprinkle, 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 sprinkle. A year later, dip, 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 sprinkle, 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 sprinkle. Had to do it every year. Christ only had to do it once and for all. That's where we get that phrase, once and for all. And so here's Christ. There's the mercy seat of God. So the Ark of the Covenant represents Jesus Christ and his mercy upon Israel. And so God says, now, see the ark, and the four uh, Levites that carry it. They're like the four cherub, the angels that are in Ezekiel chapter 1. God says, now, when you see that ark, don't start walking behind it. Let it go. And they'll, the, the guys who are leading the march, they're going to count for you 
2,000 cubits. And when they have gone 2,000 cubits ahead, I'm sure they'll, I don't know, whistle or yell or raise their torches in the air, whatever. And then you'll know that you're going to follow. So, I mean, it's like, here's the Ark of the Covenant, and here's Israel. I mean, they could have just followed right in. But we know that Israel, after Christ dying on the cross and rising from the dead and doing what he did there for our eternal salvation, they didn't just fall right into it. So here's the Ark. 2,000 years later, Israel. They're going to finally, they're going to finally make it to the promised land forever. Oh, I love that story. I, I read that and I went, that is so cool. Okay. And, and as far as like uh, more of this illustration of, of like the number two being like the time of the Gentiles. Okay, you'll have, you'll have like uh, somebody in the Old Testament and they'll marry a Gentile wife and they'll have, you know, whatever. Okay, there's, there's one in Genesis 41 where Joseph, Joseph is already, uh, he's out of prison and um, because he's interpreted the dream and so Pharaoh wants to give him a reward and so look what happened. Uh, Joseph is a type of Christ here, no doubt about it whatsoever. Uh, and Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zafnathpaania and he gave, say that, say that with me, Zafnathpaania <laughs> and he gave him to wife Azanath, the daughter of Potiphar, the priest of On. On is Osiris. And Joseph went out uh, over all the land of Egypt. And in verse 50, and unto Joseph were born two Gentile sons. He marries a Gentile wife and has two Gentile sons. Okay? One for the first thousand years, one for the second thousand years. Uh, before the years of famine came, and Azanoth, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bare unto him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God, said he, hath made me forget all my toil and all my father's house, and the name of the second called he Ephraim, for God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. So him marrying a Gentile bride... That would be us. Giving birth to two Gentile sons shows that Christ is going to be the head over the Gentiles first for two days, 2,000 years. Then he's going to reconcile Israel. He's going to open their eyes. They're going to see and they're going to be saved. Mm -mm -mm. Now, coming up, we're not done with the number two yet. And, it, you know, I try to compress this stuff down, and there's, oh, there's just no way to do it. 
and I really am. I'm trying to like mash it all down so I can get as much in as possible and take as little time as possible. But, you know, with these numbers, they're just absolutely fascinating. We've got the idea of unity is represented by the number two. Marriage. The word marriage. 22 times in the King James Bible. Um... Oh, let's see here. Kingdom divided. Um, let's see here. Witness. It's a number for witness. Oh, wait till I show you this. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. So in order to do it justice, we'll, we'll wait. All right, we'll wait till the next time. And then we'll put this out. And you'll, you'll love it. Okay, you'll love it. Especially as the numbers get bigger. What we're going to do is we're going to see patterns now in the King James Bible. Okay, it's hard to show a pattern of one. Hey, this word's one time in the Bible. Yeah, so what? But then you look at a word and you see the words like seven times or 70 times or 49 times or whatever. That's when it gets cool. That's when it gets interesting. All right. So I hope you're enjoying this and I hope you're learning something. And I hope then that you take the numbers and you do your own study and see what God opens up to you. All right? The Lord bless you. I love you. God bless you. I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful new year this coming year. I hope and pray that I don't get finished with another Watchman broadcast series that Jesus comes back and takes us all home and he teaches us the wondrous things from his word. All right? All right, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.